it's it's been a minute, man. But it's good to be back. I mean, I I, I literally been pestering, pestering. When are we coming back? When are we making that comeback? Feels like uh, Michael Jordan with the forty five right now. Yeah, it definitely feels like Michael Jordan with the forty five or. Yeah, Michael Jordan with the 45. I thought I'd have another uh, comeback to that, but I, I really don't. <laughs> or, you know, Brett Favre with the with the Minnesota Vikings. So. I was thinking Brett Favre with the New York Jets. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Man, I forgot that. Even but I don't think we'll ever be that bad. No, no, no. That, that would be like Michael Jordan with the Wizards. No, we're not that. I would say my, we're more Brett Favre with, with the Minnesota Vikings. So we are back after a very long hiatus. You know, life just happens. You know, I got a new job and I've had a new positions at that new job. And Jay just recently got promoted. Congratulations. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, I'm actually now with uh, Terry in the Bali injury world. So we're, we're both hitting the Bali injury game here. Um, and also wanted to congratulate uh Terry, on the on the program that you've been on, man, how many how much pounds have you lost so far? I am down roughly twenty pounds since August twenty second. Man, that's that's amazing, and it, you guys know he's he's doing it for his health, and and that's great. When someone you know, you got to support people that are are trying to take care of themselves, especially at this time because it's so difficult to do with all the food we have out there. And Terry, you know, Terry literally eats nuts. In the morning when I'm eating, you know. No, I don't even get to eat nuts. No, I get nothing for breakfast. Oh. I get coffee and a teaspoon of coconut oil. That's it. So my my man literally <laughs> gets to eat nothing while I'm chowing down on a croissant and uh, bacon and eggs in the morning. So you know, I, mean, I, I commend his 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 dedication to it because I certainly couldn't do this. I'm eating raw mushrooms at our lunch table like they're potato chips. Oh, that was an actual quote from somebody at the lunch table oh, the other so day. Gross. That is so gross. You know, but I, I feel really good. You know, I kind of, you kind of get to a spot where you feel really low about yourself. And, you know, PSA to anyone out there, if you're feeling low about yourself and you think you're the only one in that fight, you're not. You've got family out there. You've got people out there that will support you. you just got to be willing to look yourself in the mirror and, and take that first step, which is what I did. Um, kind of felt like, you know, to, to put a fun spin on it, I kind of felt like it was... Uh, I was Captain America after that fight with Thanos when the shield breaks and he's sitting there looking at Thanos' entire army. And I looked at it at all the, you know, bad decisions I had made eating, letting myself go, thinking I didn't have any help. And then, like, you get that little ear, you know, maybe it's God talking to you like Falcon was talking to Cap. And then you just turn your back and you've got your entire support system right there ready to go. So, like, that fight scene means something to me because it reminds me of where I was and where I'm going to go. Exactly. I mean, and that's that's huge. Uh, more conversation needs to happen um, that, you know, a lot of us out here are struggling with some type of demon and you can have support anywhere. All it is is just really just taking the first step. But you did a huge first step by looking in the mirror saying that there's I got to do something about this. So that's huge. I commend you on that because I, I know that's how my life hit an epiphany where you, I took a first step and looked in the mirror and said, you know what? I gotta change something for me to make myself better, and and it's been it's been great. I mean, I've had such a happy life since then. So, welcome to that road. I mean, I'm glad you're on that. You, you're gonna you're gonna love yourself even more than you already did, and it's gonna be amazing. And I'm here to help. Everybody else out there is here to help. Let's go ahead and knock that out. And you know, it's just you know another you know 
another way for me to just when my team dominates yours in the turkey bowl, I can just look at it and be like, I actually had a hand in it. I just don't have to stand back and throw the football because Lord knows I did a terrible job of that last year. Maybe maybe I can get out and actually play some defense and show some athletic ability. Yeah, I don't think you. I, I think you may be dreaming. I don't know. Hey, this you. Not, I still got a winning record against you on look, Thanksgiving look, Day, this, son. This not eating stuff is a little getting to your head, man. Because uh, we're coming hard this year. We. We are not the Michigan Wolverines. I may like the Michigan Wolverines, but I sure as hell don't play like a player on the Michigan Wolverines. I'll tell you that. Uh, you have a winning record, but it, it, it's not going to last. We are going to be 500 this year, and, and I'm Vince McMahon guaranteeing that. Wow. <laughs> well, in the words of The Rock, just bring it, bitch. <laughs> anyway, speaking of not bringing it, let's uh, talk in our first segment here. We're going to talk a little uh, Browns football and uh, – I had the pleasure of being at the ball game on Sunday, thanks to my mom. Never been to a, a, a Browns a regular season starter. I've always been to the Indians games. I go almost every year to opening day, but I've never been to a Browns game that had such hype. And like walking into the stadium, you know, you just with the masses, there were thousands of people walking in front of the stadium into the game with the here we go Brownies and you know Super Bowl Super Browns, and like it was an electric atmosphere but then three hours later it was that same old death march right out the stadium with 10 minutes left to go in the game and it was just oh i mean we'll get into the game but man what a letdown i'm, I'm gonna I, I i'm gonna say this is this is and i said it this is like when the browns this is akin to me like when the browns made a huge announcement they i remember being on facebook uh and i think this was in 2015 or 16 Huge announcement coming from the Browns. And I'm like, oh my God, what's about to happen? They're about to change their uniforms. It's going to be sick. Let's do this. And they were like, unveiling the new helmets tonight. And I literally clicked on the unveil. And I was just like, what did they change? What what happened? Oh, they changed the hue? And my wife literally had to do the girl thing and be like, the, the color of oranges are different. And I said, this, was the, this is the biggest letdown I've ever had in my entire life. Until Sunday. Sunday, we spent months talking about this team, months before Sunday, to, 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 to even, a loss would have been fine with me, just a loss, seven point loss would have been fine with me, I would say even 14, but to get blowed out by a team like the Titans, even though they were, they were decent last year, to just get blowed out like that, it hurt me, it hurt me, and I, and I could not rebuttal to anybody who said, same old Browns, couldn't rebuttal it, because it was, 18 penalties, man. 18. Yeah, but, you know, I, I'm going to say, you know, the Browns definitely shot themselves in the foot a few times, but if you look at how the game was called, I was there. And I'm not going to say this is an excuse because you need to find a way to overcome it. The Titans didn't play that well, and that game was not officiated impartially. I'm sorry, but it was not. There were calls in the stadium I could see from my suite that should have been called that were missed that should not have been called, especially on replay. I really felt like this was uh, the NFL's way of sticking it to the Browns, my opinion. Um, and, you know, that my opinion furthered when A.B. signed with the, with the Patriots, but we'll come back to that later. Um, but not all 18 of those penalties uh, were warranted to be called. The one that was the backbreaker where we, when we scored a touchdown to be within 15-13, all the momentum's on our side. They don't throw the flag for offensive pass interference. Well, it wasn't offensive pass interference. Miles Garrett was held and basically tackled to stop a play from, from making a play. 
And you're, you know, that was the biggest thing where I was like, yeah, man, this a, this isn't our day, and b, this is no way this is an impartially called game right now. Yeah, and and I didn't see it like that from the, from the TV aspect. You know, uh, I sat there and I felt that we had 13, at least 13, 14 legit penalties that were called against us fall from false starts to personal fouls and things like that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I felt like that was where we shot ourselves in the foot and that was, that was just, it was really undisciplined. It just looked undisciplined. And for me, it, it's, it's, it when I, to, to rebuttal, to, to go back to your point, you know, you felt like that the NFL or the referees, they were against us. Why, why Cleveland though? Like, I always ask that when, when things go wrong against us and people would say things like that, I'd be, why Cleveland? Why would you, we're so small market. We don't matter. We're insignificant on the grand scheme of things. For us, we, you know, we are a great fan base, but as far as making money for the, for the league, why, why would you even think about crushing us like that? That's, you know, I, I, I don't ever understand that, but you know, I wasn't at the game and I couldn't see what you saw because I understand being at the game and actually seeing it at home are really two different two different viewpoints. I mean, you're going to see a lot more at the game than I'm going to see at home. I only get to see what CBS showed me. So right. I understand where you come from. I thought 18 for 182 was just, you know, a little extravagant. I just, you know, you can call a holding play almost on every play. You can mean to tell me that that offensive line held as much as they did. I don't believe it. I felt those roughing the passer penalties were ticky-tack at best, especially the first one. I didn't, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm right there. They Nobody touched Mariota. And the thing that I think bothers me more than anything else is we outgained them still committing all those penalties. We moved the ball basically at will for the most part. Uh, just shoot, you know, getting shot in the foot with those penalties really killed us. But the fact that Tennessee just, I don't think they played that well. I was not impressed by them at all. It's just, it was the self-inflicted wounds is what did the Browns in. I'm going to tell you why it seemed that Tennessee didn't do well. It's because we, they, they were always on their side of the field. They never had bad field position to start. The worst field position they got, Derrick Henry ran for 72 yards. This is why it looked like they we outgained them because we were always behind it. Um, and so that this is why it seemed like we played a better game. But I feel like the Titans played an okay game. And I feel like they outplayed the Browns in a sense that they were, they were more prepared for the moment and didn't fold under the mass hysteria of this Browns team. Yeah, and, you know, outside of that first drive when, you know, everything was crisp as crisp could be, I think they had one penalty on that drive. They missed that extra point. That really hurt momentum. Yeah. Um, but, you you know, I think you could kind of see the lack of preseason for some of our playmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the timing, you know, yep. you could say Baker was sacked five times, but if you look, go back and look at some of the next-gen stats, he had the ninth most time out of 32 to throw the ball. So that tells me he's holding onto the ball, waiting for things to happen. That's yep. not the Baker Mayfield That's we not. had last year. That's an adjustment he's got to make, especially with a makeshift offensive line. You've got to, and, and Freddie's got to know that too. I got to call plays that are going to be quick hitters that are going to get me, uh, get the ball out of Baker's hands quick because, A, I don't want my franchise quarterback being sacked, let alone taking the amount of hits that he takes. 100% agree. Last year's Freddie Kitchens offense was. One, two, three, throw the ball. One, two, throw the ball. And we have the receivers for that. We have, like, we, we with, with with Juice and OBJ, those are two basically slot receivers playing one and two. We can have that offense. The only problem is, is the offense that we were trying to do, we were trying to hit the home run every single time. And we didn't need that. We needed to just stick to our guns of one, two, pass, 
or handing it off to Nick Chubb and, and calling it a day. Because that's the offense that the Browns are built on. That's the offense that made us special. It's the offense that made Baker special last year was, you know, throwing your 10-yard, 15-yard passes and not trying to hit Odell Beckham all the way down the field, not trying to hit Higgins standing in the end zone. You know, those are the plays that got opened up when you kept going one, two, drop, one, two, drop, run to Chubb. And then they come up and all of a sudden you got OBJ over the top. That's what it should that's what should have happened, but that just wasn't executed. And I think they got a little pass happy too. If Baker's dropping back thirty eight times, that's too much. Nick Chubb averaged four and a half yards a carry. That's manageable. Seventeen for seventy five. Right. I really think you need to keep him more involved in the game because then if you're running the ball more, that play action also buys you that extra second maybe that the offensive line can't give you at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you can't shut out one of you, one of your biggest playmakers and only hold him to 17 touches in a game. That's just I'm sorry that's that's not enough. And uh, Ninjoku had four catches for 37 yards. However, he had two big drops. I mean, wide open drops too. I mean, my man, you got to have some hands if you're going to play on this team. And if not, I'm. I'm content moving on from him because, quite honestly, I'm, I'm done with the same old Njoku. He's shown no improvement since he's been here, and that's not how a top-end caliber talent tight end can can uh, can be. You just got to be better. Yeah, first round, first first round, second round talent, you, you got to catch the ball, man. You, you have to, and I don't understand. Uh, at this point, we're on year three of Njoku, and it feels like it's the same Njoku from the beginning. You can excuse it as a rookie. You can understand it as a second-year player. But it's year three. It's time to it's time to step up or get replaced. And there's plenty of other tight ends that can be serviceable than Njoku for what Njoku gets paid. Njoku is supposed to be the fifth best tight end in the league, and definitely not showing it. No, he's not. He's not even. I wouldn't even consider him a top ten or even a top fifteen tight end at this point. It's just the inconsistency with the drops. Uh, he's not a very sound blocker, which is something that hasn't gotten better. Um, you know, so I, I think the clock's going to be ticking for Njoku. Maybe not this season, perhaps, but that might be an area of weakness that John Dorsey looks to upgrade if Njoku sure. can't show the, the way to improve. Um, just a dud all the way around. I mean, outcoached, outclassed. Um, I don't think that the final score was was as bad as as the game would show. Um, you know, Tennessee got that long touchdown, and then they went up by 16, and then the Browns got pass happy, get down by 23, and then you throw the pick six to go down by 30. Quite honestly, this was probably, you know, closer to a 17-point loss than it was a 30-point loss. It's just, you know, the Titans hit two big plays, you know, in the, in the second half that really extended the score. Uh, I mean, with our defense, though, 43 is, is embarrassing. Uh, I think it's embarrassing. That's what, you let, that's what you let happen to you in college football. That's, <laughs> that's a team that's not ready. At all, that's anything above thirty-five. That's a team that's not ready to play, and it now finally shows us. As much as everyone's afraid of injuries in the preseason, it's a necessary evil to get everybody on the page. You know, we're taking all these pictures of Odell Beckham and Juice on the sidelines, mingling with fans, and and Baker Mayfield only playing one full game basically in the preseason. This this was time for people to get game ready. This was time for people to understand and the, the offense to start working together and, and gelling. I, I, that, that was just missed opportunity, and basically it was shown by the way we got blown out by the Titans. We just weren't ready. Are you ready to push the panic button yet, or are you going to give it another couple weeks? If this was college football, panic all, all day. Um, but I think we'll bounce back for sure. We're going to beat the Jets. The only problem is is I'll push panic button when if we lose to the Jets because – 
we're talking about an 0-4 start at that point because next week we would have the Los Angeles Rams. We'd have to pull off a stunner on that one. And then the week after that, I still think we're still on the West Coast. Um, and I'm thinking San Francisco. Let's take a look at the schedule here. We've got – no, you have uh, – you play the Jets on Monday Night Football. Then you got the Rams on Sunday Night Football. And then you go to the Ravens. Okay, I forgot about the Ravens. At the Ravens. And then after that, we go back out to the West Coast. So – it's 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 catastrophic on many levels what happened Sunday because what happened with Baltimore where they turned around and the supposed running back looked like freaking Joe Montana all of a sudden so it's it's catastrophic in that point we cannot afford to lose to the Jets um, because we're looking at basically an all four start with what's there so I, I wouldn't push the panic button unless we lose to the Jets. Well, I'm not too concerned about, you know, what Baltimore did because they did it against a a tanking Miami Dolphins team. You got everybody ready to jump ship out there in Miami. Uh, More on that in a little while. But, you know, I'll be interested to see. The Cardinals are a much better defense than Miami. Mm -hmm. Kansas City is a much better defense than the Cardinals, in my opinion. Um, You know, I get get you held Jacksonville down, but without their starter. So we'll see how far Lamar Jackson's really come here in the next few weeks. I can't really, you know, yeah, did he have a big day? Yeah, kudos to him. But against what? Against guys guys who probably shouldn't even be playing first or even second string, you know, down there in Miami because they're trying to tank for the first pick. Tank for Tua. And that that is 100% a fair assessment. But it still raises my eyebrows when you lose – you get 40, 43 put up on you, and the team that's in your division puts up 42 against somebody else. One, if, if, if he did it against Miami, he could do it against us because that's how prepared we looked. We looked like a Miami out there. So right. it, that, that raises my eyebrows that, okay, when we come face them in week three, I mean, we got to be ready. We got to be better. I mean, I meant week four. When we face them in week four, we got to be better. We have to show significant improvement against the Jets, we have to show fight against the Rams, and then everyone will start to calm down and understand that, okay, we're still that contender that we thought we were before we came into this season. But you go out and you lay another egg against the Jets, even just lose against the Jets, yeah, panic button's getting pushed. You know, I've got, uh, I'm at a point now where I'm going to, I'm burying what happened on Sunday, because Sunday leaving that stadium, I'm, I'm, I'm okay to admit it, I, uh, I was defeated. I was I was ready to say, okay, you know what? After all that hype, if that's how you're going to come out, I think I'm just going to push back. And not to be like that Fairweather fan, but you're going to have to show me before I get that emotionally invested again. Like, yeah. I was, I left the golf course to go to the game last minute. And that I mean, <laughs> that tells I, a lot. and I was shooting really, really good. Justin yeah. Paroli can attest to this. I shot amazing. I was playing really well. And then, hey, you want to go to the game? <sighs> all right, I'm going to get all hyped up. I'm going to go I'm gonna go home and put my high-knee brown socks on. I'm going to wear my Baker Mayfield shirt. Shout out to my mom. She bought me the color rush jersey. I saw it. it was sweet. Yeah, dude, that was sweet. sweet. You know, but I just walked out, and I was like, holy blankety-blank. Like, I'm just drained. So I'm burying this one. I'm going to chalk it off as that's their worst game of the season. They're going to play in week one, and we're going to build a foundation starting this week. The Jets. Sam Darnold, here, listen to this. 28 of 41 for 175 and a touchdown. Jamison Crowder, 14 receptions for 99 yards. What does that tell you? 
shut down Jamison Crowder and you shut down Sam Darnold. Absolutely. And and there's no doubt in my mind that we're going to win this game and and if that's why I say if we don't, we're in we're in serious trouble because that's a team we should be. No question. If we're as talented as we look on paper, we should beat this team. Uh, you know, Sam Darnold in my opinion, he isn't it. He is not going to be that savior of that franchise. He's good, but he's not great. Um, he is just another one of those quarterbacks in the league that is service, serviceable for a team, and he's going to get them, you know, their six wins a season and, and call it a day. But that six win, one of those six wins aren't going to be the Browns. And if we shut down Jamison Crowder, like you said, it's it, they, they're not going to be able to move the ball, even with Le'Veon Bell. We know how Le'Veon Bell works, and we've been able to shut him down before. So that's all we have to do is make sure we're, we're staying on top of Le'Veon and Jamison Crowder and make uh, Darnold beat us a different way, and we're winning that game. You know, I also, the Browns, you know, I'm going to say this, you know, Freddie, if you're listening, you Baker, if you're listening, please feed Nick Chubb. Use Gosh. Nick Chubb as a way to set up your success. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You can get past happy. Freddie wants to get past happy. He's got all these toys out there in his toy chest that he wants to play with. But sometimes the most boring toy can end up giving you the biggest moments. Because Nick Chubb can break one at any second and do the same thing that throwing a pass 30 yards down the field would do. Make them stop the run before you start committing go-going pass happy. Well, yeah, and please, please feed Nick Chubb. uh, Because when you guys didn't feed Nick Chubb, you caused me to lose my fantasy game. And uh, (laughs) it, it upset me a lot because I felt like Nick Chubb was the cornerstone of the Browns. Uh, and it made me feel like I had invested the, on the wrong Browns player. Um, but yes, you're right, Terry. Uh, you got to feed Nick Chubb. You got to start there. That's how NFL has been built. You, the NFL leagues, football in general, has been built. You start with the run. You get people to overcommit to the run, and then you throw it over the top of them. If you you go three and out every time you pass and you're incomplete you're not going to do anything. So you have to start with the run and give a good mix so that you catch the defense off guard. And discipline. Discipline, discipline, discipline. discipline. Above all else. Because if you come out and it's, you know, yellow flag after yellow flag after yellow flag after yellow flag, I'm going to bed. I mean, I'm off the next day because it's Brown. You know, the Browns were playing Monday Night Football. I had a day to blow. I took the next day off. I will go to bed and get up and go play golf that next morning and and not feel guilty about it. I don't want to see whatever referee on the screen more than I see my quarterback or more than I see my defense. You've got to be disciplined. Freddie, if you say you've got to be better, like you said in your press conference, the proof's in the pudding this week because you can't go out and have that type of performance again or you're going to lose the team and you're going to lose the city, you're going to lose the fan base. And we're, we're like so close to being pushed over the edge of going from crap to great. And there's not even like a good, like we got the talent to surpass the good. Mm-hmm. It's time to take that step now because you can't be looking 0-3 in the face. You can't be hoping to pull out one out of your rear end on Sunday Night Football. You've got to go into that game with some momentum. You just have to. We also have to – you have to think about keeping Baker clean as well. Uh, the O-line needs major help, and it was it was evident that, you know, once we lost the linemen, we, we, were, we, were, we were stuck. It just, you know, can't make bad penalties and – but the old line needs to be better. Uh, we got to be better. You got to keep Baker clean. If you guys are going to decide to go for deep drops, you you have to protect. The, you got to protect Baker. So we got to keep him clean. Uh, we we also got to get you know we got to get Njoku catching the ball. Whatever you got to do, you got to get that man catching the ball because that's going to help 
in in the passing game, if Baker is allowed to take a five step drop, has nobody, and he's able to dump it off to Najoku. Right. And then Austin Siebert, man, I, you won this competition, my man. I need you to make some kicks because oh, we go right down the field with relative ease. I even made the comment in the suite that was too easy, and then. To miss an extra point. I mean, I would have kept Greg Joseph or Zane Gonzalez around here if I wanted that kind of kind of play. You were brought in here and drafted for a reason. It's time to start putting up because a good team can't be a great team without a good kicker. You, an average kicker. I need an average kicker. You didn't have to be good or great. I need you to be average. Average means making all of your extra points and maybe being you know 75% field goal range. But how can we trust you to kick a field goal if you can't even make a freaking extra point? Yeah, that it, it, that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, I understand it's further, but it's you know the field goal has been further for years now. We need a field goal kicker that can make it. This this missing the field goal stuff is just unacceptable. All right, so we talked about some keys uh, to the game. You know, we got to keep Baker upright. Got to make quick decisions. Feed Nick Chubb. Uh, Njoku's got to play better. Defense really has to step it up too. They got to have a, a bounce back game. Um, you know, you said that we're going to beat the Jets. How do you see this one uh, playing out? Yeah, I see us. I see us taking a 24-10 win. I think we're going to get it. I think we're going to look much improved. Uh, I think the the skill players and the key players are going to show up. Uh, you know, I know OBJ is going to get 80 plus. Jarvis is going to get 50 plus. Nick Chubb is going to get 25 carries. He's going to have 111 yards. I, I really feel that we are going to look good and make a statement uh, against the Jets. I see I see it going a little similar. I think the Browns uh, are going to score. I think it's going to be like a 28-13 type of thing, pulling away. Um, I don't think Baker's going to make the same mistakes. Um, I think Freddie's going to call a much different game, um, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that they uh, will address the penalty situation. I can't see that happening again. Uh, so I got the Browns 28-13 over the Jets. Uh so let's talk about some uh, some other things here now that we've covered covered our hometown team. What surprised you week one? Just a couple things, you know, before we uh, wrap this segment up. What are some of the things that maybe jumped out at you that you weren't expecting to see? <laughs> Man, let me let, let me tell you the the Cardinals, the fight that they put into to get that game to a tie against the Detroit Lions. That may have been the biggest surprise to me because Fitzgerald, old man Fitzgerald, fountain of youth right there, man. The, you know, fountain of youth. And Kyler Murray, he he may be the better of the two between him and Baker uh, out of Oklahoma quarterbacks. I, the, his, the zip on his passes blew my mind. I was sitting there thinking, man, this guy shouldn't be playing NFL football. He's too tiny. He should have stayed with baseball. And then I started watching the end of this game because NFL Red Zone just had it on to its completion. Mm-hmm. And I said... Man, Kyler Murray might be the truth. Now, if he takes a hit from a decent-sized linebacker, he, he's going to go on a cardiac arrest. But, you know, um, he definitely may be the truth as far as, as, far as quarterbacks go. He may, he may very well possibly be the next Drew Brees. And, and what I also like from what I saw from him is he knew how to get down. He knew how to get out of bounds or he knew how to lay down so that he didn't take those hits. So I would say that the Arizona Cardinals, Larry Fitzgerald and Kyler Murray were, were pretty much my biggest biggest shocks of, of the weekend. My biggest shock was uh, Sunday Night Football. Man, like, I, I thought the Patriots would beat the Steelers. I, I truly did, just because Tom Brady owns Pittsburgh. You know, he, they could call that Tom Brady Field out in Pittsburgh because <laughs> he owns them. That's their daddy. 
Um, but the fact that it was 33-3 to and it was never even close, like there was no point in that game where I felt like Roethlisberger and that offense were going to get things going for the Steelers. You could definitely miss the presence of Antonio Brown. You could definitely miss the presence of Le'Veon Bell even a year later. James Conner just, maybe it was the way that the, uh, the Steelers or the Patriots played defense, but James Conner was a non-factor. Juju, a non-factor. I mean, they, they managed a measly field goal. And the Patriots got A.B. Yeah, I, it's one of those where we're turning into the Patriots may be the Golden State Warriors of the NFL. I mean, they... And, and you take they, that sentence out your mouth. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the truth. I mean, this is legit a dynasty, uh, especially adding A.B. And, and I'm waiting. I am counting the days until someone comes out with a collusion accusation against this because... You you just don't you just don't become a joke of the NFL on one of the the mediocreest teams of the NFL and then fail up like you get released to an hour later being signed to one of the greatest teams that have ever played NFL football. How there there has to be some type of collusion. There has to be. I'm waiting for it. Did you see that meme that somebody put out? Tom Brady holding a cell phone and it said. A.B., call him a cracker. That'll get the job done. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I'm telling you. And, 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 I, and on that subject, I was laughing about that because I said, I said, you know, if A.B. is going to do that, if, 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 an, if an owner, if a GM would have said the N-word to A.B., they would have his head. Mm-hmm. I felt that A.B. deserved the same exact punishment for using a, a you know, derogatory language racial slur to his his uh, GM right. I felt that give him the same punishment. And, 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 and the reason why I say that is I get that, you know, when people use the N word, it's for, it's a derogatory oppressive le- for, you know, that type of language. But if we're going to talk about everyone, you know, being on the same playing field, you can't accept one racial slur, one derogatory language and say the other. Yeah. We can't say that, you know, right. So I felt like A.B. deserved the same type of discipline you would do for somebody that would say the N-word or any type of racial slur whatsoever. So, um, But him getting released to go to the Patriots, it still blows my mind. And the way they just, they just beat down on the Pittsburgh Steelers and they have yet to add A.B. into the game plan, it, it, it's, it's, it's just, let's just, just give him the Lombardi trophy already. Just another, just another toy for 42-year-old ageless one Tom Brady to play with. So I had another one that kind of jumped out at me, too. Um, I really, really, because the Chargers are a very talented team. Colts had a, have had a tough couple of weeks with the stunning retirement of I, Andrew Luck. I tell you, man, I'm not saying that the Colts are going to be a, a good football team or even a playoff football team this year, but I'm impressed with Jacoby Brissett and his leadership abilities to bring that team back. Down in the fourth quarter, they were down 14 in the fourth, and they came back and tied that game and sent it to overtime. Granted, they ended up losing the game, but the stones to do that on the road in that kind of environment, I mean, I, I was impressed. Marlon Mack really showed up well as, uh, you know, as as a, a – he basically put the team on his back. He, he showed up so well. Uh, 174, he had a touchdown. He had 25 carries. They, they really understood what – essentially what we're asking for the Browns to understand, that you win – by starting off with your running back, you you got to you got to feed him. You've got to feed him. You've got to get those tough yards, and that's what the Indianapolis Colts did. They fed Marlon Mack and got those tough yards, allowing jo- Jacoby Brissett to really settle in and become more confident and keep his team in it against Philip Rivers. Right, 
and uh, Melvin Gordon, uh, the way Austin Eckler played, man, they're going to let you sit on that bench until your ass rots because <laughs> I had him in both my and all of my DraftKings fantasy. Uh, I, you know, have a couple different league, you know, things that I play in, and man, ball, guy balled out for me, and I, I appreciate it. And I, you know, I, I've always liked the Chargers. If anyone were to ever send me a Philip Rivers powder blue jersey in debt to you, I just love the way the guy plays. I love his attitude, you know, blank you, we're going to go out there and win, but, you know, uh, Chargers are one of my dark horse teams this year. They were last year, and mm-hmm. you know, they just got off to that terrible start uh, right before the AFC Championship game. But, yeah, that's, uh, those are some surprises. I'm sure there's going to be some more uh, coming out. I don't see the Falcons playing as bad as they did. I think that's oh, going to be their worst game of yeah, the year. That's gonna be, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a shocker. That's a um, one-off. That's, that's also a shocker because they're a really good team. Uh, um, they probably, uh, with, with, with the movement around the NFL, I still feel like they either have arguably the number one receiving core or number two now, um, but behind really the Patriots now. Um, as far as receiving cores go, but uh, yeah, that's going to be an anomaly. They're not going to play like that for the rest of the season. They're going to be just fine. Uh, there's no reason to hit the panic button there. So you're 100% right. We're not going to see the, the you know the, the same Atlanta Falcons doing that again the rest of the season. And their their schedule is favorable as well. So they'll they'll do fine. Yeah. So there's still going to be a lot of uh, it's still very early in the season. A lot of teams can't push that panic button yet. Um, but, you know, it, it remains to be seen uh, how uh, the 2019-2020 NFL season will shape up. Well, Jay, from Eric Stamens, very frustrating, to Francisco Lindor, to Jose Ramirez being awful, to Jose Ramirez looking like himself, to Jose Ramirez and Tyler Naquin both suffering season-ending injuries within two weeks of each other. It's been a very frustrating, very fun, very frustrating, very fun, very frustrating, yet very fun season for the Cleveland Indians. As, as of the date of this recording, we are 84-61, and 61, five full games behind the Minnesota Twins. We still have three left with them, and then we're a half game out of the last wild card spot. Based off how the Indians started, and it's well documented, and we're certainly not going to go back and rehash that nightmare, um... Have the Indians surpassed your expectations maybe after the first month of the season, or are they right where you thought they'd be? I'm a, uh, you know what? I think they did because they did surpass my expectations. And I'm going to tell you why. The reason why is because that offseason was probably the worst offseason I've had for any team that I've ever followed in my entire life. They made zero moves and got rid of everybody. So, in my opinion, I had written them off at that point where I was – yeah, I guess we're not trying to go to playoffs. Um, I guess we're trying to just make sure we clear enough space so that we can keep both, uh, you know, Ramirez and Lindor. But it appears that that wasn't the case. We were just biding our time, waiting in the weeds to attack. So kudos to the front office on that one. But, yes, they, uh, they've definitely exceeded my expectations um, for what they were in the offseason season. But they haven't exceeded my expectations as far as I know the tribe to be. Uh, I feel like we have never been this close to missing the playoffs with such a good team. Um, so that, that part worries me. But, yes, to, to, to your point, they, they have exceeded my expectations from the offseason. I got to give, uh, you know, a lot of the credit, you know, goes to, I believe, Terry Francona. Um, I think he's one of the most underrated managers in the game. Um, I don't think outside of... Um, you know, and we had him here as well, Mike Hargrove. I don't think any manager gets more out of his players than, than Tito does. Um, he found a way not only to keep a minute, 
but pushed buttons at the right time when they needed to be pushed. He never once panicked. Um, and this team basically played its way back into contention, and I think that they would be a very dangerous team once they get in the postseason, even with the injuries they've had, especially with uh, Fran Mill Reyes, one of our newest acquisitions. The guy's just going off right now. Like, it's not even fair. Every single ball that Fran Mill hits is a rocket. Now, I don't, I've, I've never seen a guy that hits the ball, and every time he touches it, 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 it launches into the outfield. Um, his home runs are majestic. His outs are majestic. And I'm glad that we have him on the team, and I'm glad that we're going to have him for a while. It's almost as if we lost Lindor eventually, we still have Fermil, uh for the foreseeable. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for his addition to the team. I'm also underrated excited about Yasiel Puig being on our team. He's struggled a little bit lately, but his energy is, is just unmatched. And you need a guy like that on your team to make – the team go and I, and I'm so happy to have him on the team. If we can somehow squeak our way into the playoffs in the wild card and then surprise a few teams and get there, we got a good chance. We really do. If I'm Tito Terry Francona right now, I the one adjustment I would make to the lineup that he has is with Yasiel struggling the way that he is, um, and with as hot as Fran Mill is, I would flip flop them in the order. I would put Fran Mill fourth. I put Yasiel sixth just until Yastiel has a chance to find his way again. Because then, you know, Kipnis is on fire again. He's hitting home runs. He's quietly hit 17 home runs this year, which I don't think any of us saw happening. He's driven in over 60 runs. I don't think any of us saw that happening. This team actually has a lot more power than we were going to give it credit for, especially with the two additions that we had. Um, The only thing that scares me right now is the back end of that bullpen. Ah, man, godly. I don't have no idea what's happened to Han. It's like he's got the yips for a closer pitcher. Um, I just, it's he's he's so hot and cold with with it, and and we're always so surprised now that he actually was able to close out the game. It, it's it's scary that we just have no other go to. I mean, Han, we put all the eggs in in the basket with Han, and we don't have another setup guy to go to that may be able to take his spot and let Han work things out. We, 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 we're just hitching our horse to hand and hoping that that he pushes us through. And that's going to be dangerous in the playoffs because there's just going to be way better hitters every single day that we got to contend with. Hand's got to figure it out and be more consistent than he has been. I agree there. And, you know, the Indians have a very, I would say, favorable schedule here the next uh, eight games. And I say mm-hmm. favorable because they played well against the Twins. Right. Um, L.A.'s kind of, you know, fallen by the wayside uh, this year. They've lost, I think, you know, they said eight of their last 10 or 11 games. Um, so, to me, the next two, you got to win the next two. you got to beat L.A. you got to sweep L.A. Um, and hope that, you know, whoever the Twins are playing, because the Indians have an off day on Thursday, uh, you got to hope that whoever uh, the Twins are playing, that they can take two out of three from them while, while they go. Because uh, we'll know who the division champion is going to be by the end of this weekend or who, if the Indians still have a chance at that division championship. They're down by five full games, and they have three more with the Twins this weekend. And then that's it. That's it. That's it. But then right after the Twins series, you've got three with the Tigers, who you are basically the Tom Brady and the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Steelers of them this year. You own them. They've only lost one game to the Tigers. They have dominated every single time out, uh, and you've got you know um, three, two of your three best pitchers going in that series right now as well uh, in the Detroit series. But uh, we've actually set ourselves up pretty nice. Uh, we got Savali, Clevenger, and Bieber going this weekend against the Twins. I like that matchup. I really, really do. 
Um, but you know, this weekend it's you know I would say that the next eight games. I hate to say this, but you got to go eight no. Like I just I feel you have to if you want to have a chance at the division, because then it doesn't get any easier. You go to the you have the the Phillies, and then you go to the White Sox, and the White Sox have beaten you more times than you've beaten them. They are a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And then you finish the year in Washington, so you literally have one, two, three, four, five full series left. There are seventeen games left in the regular season. I think they could take the Phillies. The Phillies have really underachieved, and, and gosh, did the Phillies overpay, which we all knew they were doing that for Bryce Harper. Um, right. I mean, you, you paid for the excitement for the guy. You didn't pay for him to produce because if you were paying attention, he hasn't been producing for almost two years now. Um, still, He's still a threat. Uh, don't, don't, don't come right to me and saying, are you kidding me? You're down in Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is still one of the better players to play our game, but he is not worth the contract that he signed. So the Phillies have been underproducing. So I think we could get three there, um, and if we could step up against the White Sox, we should be we should be set to end the season. Take two out of three from the Nationals. If we can get the the Twins to kind of struggle a little bit, don't count us out. We might be right in, right in there. Uh, you know, as, and being five out with eighteen left, that's a very large gap to close. Um, I really think more or less you're going to have a better chance at catching. Uh, you're only one one game in the loss column behind the A's, who got drubbed by the Astros, and sure. I think the Astros are probably going to drub them again. Um, and then you're one and a half, basically two games in the loss column behind uh, Tampa Bay, which I don't understand how they keep winning, um, especially without the support that they don't get any support down there in Tampa. Um, I, I think your more realistic way to the postseason is that first or second wild card. But if you do catch the Twins for the division, I think that'll put the Caps on one hell of a comeback. I think you want either way. Um, the Twins aren't necessarily world beaters. Again, I understand that they are a team that are are pretty much almost setting uh, the MLB record for home runs in a season as a team, but they live or die by the long ball. They can't play the small ball. So if you can shut down their, their, their bats like people used to do to the Yankees years past, if you can shut them down, they may, they may stumble and fall. If, you, if they suffer a power outage and it gets cold up in Minnesota here, where, you know, here in these coming days in September, I mean, we're already feeling a little bit of chill already. And those bats just don't, you know, the ball's not flying off those bats like they used to all summer. You, you may find the Twins losing more games than they're actually going to win in this stretch. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a small percentage, you know. I'm saying there's a chance. It's a small percentage. Don't count us out for the division. But, yes, I would say it's more realistic that we're, we're looking at the wild card at this point. And then you know, we we would be remiss not to throw this out there as well, but um, you know, welcome back, Cookie. Yeah. My goodness, it's been a while since we've been on, but you know that that is such an inspiration, and that gave that team such a lift. I I had chicken skin. I was I had chills when, you know, the All Star game was here, and and they did. I, I stand up for for cancer, and I stand up for Cookie. I I, I had chills. Uh, just it, it's it's amazing what this guy has done. Um, with 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 a, a disease such as leukemia, bloodborne disease, it, it it's supposed to render you basically powerless. You you don't have the same strength. You're gonna be tired all the time. And 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 Cookie has shown himself to be just a a a human marvel by still being able to do what he does and staying positive. It, it's amazing. It is. And so we're. You know, from uh, both of us, man, Cookie, welcome back, and we stand with you, and we're hoping that uh, you just continue to get stronger and stronger, uh, not only for the team, but more importantly, you know, for you. We want just you to you. be to be healthy. Yeah, That's just, the most important thing. 
speaking of, you know, uh, heroes, um, right now WWE, you know, we like WWE. They're doing the uh, Connor's Cure push right now. And I yeah. just, I, I don't know if you saw it last night, but I love the segment that Roman Reigns had with the kids in the, in the ring, yeah. man. I just, you know... That you know that that hits uh, that hits you you know right in between uh, in the eyes there, uh, you know you hate to see little kids you know suffer from that terrible disease, um, and the fact that you know WWE works so closely with them, especially with Make a Wish, and just trying to make you know these times for these kids just you know make it a little easier. Uh, say what you want about the programming or how maybe things are written, but when it comes to things like this, I just love the work that they do. Yeah, Vince McMahon is and the WWE, most of them are are head and shoulders above the rest at being selfless human beings and understanding that, you know, they that they were once fans and once kids at one point and they want to give back and their their continued effort to give back is is just amazing. It makes me it keeps me coming back. It keeps me wanting to be a paying customer to them because even if I'm upset with the product, I know the product is attempting to do good in our community and in our nation. Agreed. And uh, last night, Raw was from the most uh, it was emanating from the most famous arena in the world, Madison Square Garden. And my childhood crush, my man Steve Austin, kicked off Raw, man. And that I don't know if you saw, it, but it was electric last night. That man gets the pop every time that glass shatters. That's that's the biggest pop I still ever see. There's there's nobody else. There's just nobody else. Uh, you you name it. The, the, you know even with the Undertaker's music, even when his bell hits, the pop isn't like Stone Cold's glass shattering and 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 him kicking it off last night. I, I was I had to laugh. I said, man, WWE, man, we just keeps going back to the attitude era. You just keep having these attitude era wrestlers come back and keep your business afloat. That that was truly one of the greatest times in wrestling. It was one of the greatest times of wrestling, but like if you could still get a pop like that for Steve Austin, why not bring him back? Why not continue to oh, have him absolutely. out there? You know, I don't know if anyone heard this, but he's been cleared to do bumps, which means that could lead to one more match. It better. I mean, get get. I mean, come on now. It, you know how I feel about that. I I mean, it, it sends it sends you know the chills. It, it, it's gonna make me look for the pay per view, whichever one he's on, absolutely. But when you see the travesty, like, and I'm gonna say travesty because I won't be Adam the Bull and just go complete bonkers on somebody. But when you see less than par matches from guys like Shawn Michaels and Goldberg, guys who back in the day used to kill the game, it, it kind of hurts. You, you kind of look at him and be like, they can't go anymore. Why are they still trying to go? It's like when Ric Flair was was coming back in the 2000s. We're like, this man is 67 years old getting thrown off the top top rope. Like, why? But the, the thing about Steve Austin and the way he wrestled is he wasn't a guy that took the huge risks or had to do the high-flying stuff or like the battering ram like Goldberg. The type of match that he would wrestle, I think he could still be successful in, and whoever he's with could carry it and still make it look good. Is that not a boring match to this generation? Because Not to, necessarily. Because to us, we could watch a Bret, Hat, Bret Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin match that was literally them just rolling around on the mat the whole entire time. No high-flying moves, nothing but technical moves. You're going to put a sharpshooter in there now. You're going to have a wrist lock here and there. You have a headlock, you, you know, a domino stretch, all that stuff. Is that something that this generation could understand? Or is it too, we got to have you know, all the high-flying Seth Rollins-type activity and still be entertained. Put him in the ring with AJ. AJ can make anybody look good. AJ can make anything look solid. AJ can adjust and adapt to anyone's style. You put him in the ring with AJ, AJ can still do all the things that he would want to do. 
outside of like the brain buster, you're not going to see Steve Austin take a brain buster at 54 right. years old. But you know, he can still do the phenomenal form. He can still jump, you know, take stuff off the top rope. Stone Cold can still throw him into the corner, stomp a mud hole in his ass, and walk it dry. Hit him with the stunner. You know, even Stone Cold coming with the elbow off the top rope. You know, I, I, I it could have, that, if that was gonna if he's gonna do one more, that's who I'd want to see it against. I think because AJ would give you the best opportunity to give you the best looking performance and show. Yeah, I think AJ is a good worker. I think he could basically, you know, gotta learn how to take that stunner though. <laughs> you you take the stunner on two knees, not one, but two. Like Elias taking the stunner from Kevin Owens. No, like you drop to both knees and pop up. That's how you sell the stunner. I mean, come on, guys. We all need to go to the Rock School of selling the stunner. That's that's where everybody needs to go. Oh man, yeah. He's the Rock sold the stunner like no one else's business. If you haven't YouTube this, there is a two minute video of the Rock taking Stone Cold stunners. If you need something to laugh at, please YouTube this. It's it's the most amazing thing you ever see. The Rock completely oversells the stunner, and but it's, it's believable. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's it's better than anybody else that takes a stunner. It's it's definitely The Rock, and The Rock usually he was he was a rival with Stone Cold, but he usually wasn't the main dude people think about when you talk about Stone Cold. You think about Vince McMahon. Right. Vince McMahon's stunners aren't him taking those stunners aren't that great. It's The Rock. Shane took him pretty good too. Shane did. Uh, Triple H did too. Yeah. Triple H took him pretty well, but that, Triple H taking the stunners pretty well was was. Basically saying, hey, can you take the pedigree well, too? Because, you know, essentially those moves, the stunner and the pedigree, you know, those aren't really moves that would be, if we were to do them to each other, I mean, you'd be like, you're, you're going to be hurt, but you're not right. going to be, like, messed up. You got So you got to be able to take it to, to, to give as well. So that's why Triple H took it. But, uh, but The Rock is still number one at taking the so-called stunner. It was still good to see uh, Stone Cold light up the garden again. You know, as much as you'd like to see him here in Cleveland, you know, there's no place like Madison Square Garden to sell out, you know, and I just, you know, really enjoyed that. But the one thing I got to ask you, you know, what do you think of this? Oh, a little bit of the bubbly. Chris Jericho and AEW. Yeah, what do you yeah. think about a uh, little bit of the bubbly over there in AEW? You know, AEW, is it's, it's annoying for one part is I can't, see it i've never been able to see it i don't know what they're doing i just catch their highlights on instagram or twitter and i'm like where do i watch this uh, in it, october it's coming next month yeah, and, I, and i can't hardly wait uh, it's funny because they're you know nxt is supposed to come and try to compete with aew i'm not watching nxt on that day like it's aew and aew has one chance and i mean one chance to hook me like wcw did it's going to have one chance where I'm going to have my finger on both remotes and I'm going to say, all right, here we go. Wednesday Night Wars, let's do this. And if AEW isn't up to par, they look if they look just like TNA slash Impact slash Trash, I'm not watching no more. That's so... I, I like Chris Jericho being the face because he's always been a good... He's not the face. He's the heel. Oh, my... It, but he's still the dude. Like, yeah. He is... The man over there, he's he's the guy that's gonna take that franchise. He is your le champion. <laughs> how are you seeing? How are you even seeing this stuff? Because I every time I I try to look, I never. Ca- I, it's just too much on Instagram for me. Literally, to I follow him on Twitter and I just watch all of his videos, and he's just so damn funny. I mean, somebody put it out the other day. He is like a human list of catchphrases from everything that he's Pretty done, much. and and, and it, they're all his. They're all original. He's constantly reinvented himself, whether it was in. 
WCW or WWE or even over in New Japan, you know, that character, the new character, New Japan character that he plays and the one that he plays in, in AEW, mm-hmm. they're totally different. It, what AEW feels like right now is akin to what WCW was when they started to gain popularity from the Monday Night Wars. They signed a whole bunch of ex-WWE talent and a few indie talent that no one really knew of, but they made a name out of themselves. And, and that's what it feels like. It feels like it's brewing for that. It's just, does, for me, does AEW have enough enough power, good enough writers to overtake? Because NXT is damn good right now. Yeah. It's, it might be the, for me, it might be the number one show. Even though it's sold as the minor leagues, the, the writing, the matches, the storytelling is just so much better than what's going on on the main two shows right now. Well, I'll tell you, Paul Heyman and the way he's writing Raw right now, like, Pardon the way I say this, but like, the crowd last night starts chanting "asshole" at at uh, AJ Styles, and you know Stone Cold comes out, got the middle fingers up. That that you know, and then you know I don't know about you, but I you got eighteen thousand people calling you an asshole. If Vince writes that, there's no way that comes out. Paul Heyman is going to take Raw where it needs to go it's, back to. It's going there. And then you know AJ coming back with you know Steve. Everyone thinks that you're a real asshole too. I was like. Thank you. I'm so sick of the PG stuff. Like, right. you know, did they edit it, the fingers out, you know, on their YouTube channel? We're not fine because kids are going to see that. But live, I expect the Attitude Era guys to come out and talk that way. I expect someone like AJ Styles as a heel to come out and talk that way. Now, the Roman Reigns thing on SmackDown, Eric Bischoff botched the hell out of that. And he is in some hot water right now. Well, and you, you're using an old, tired storyline. I yeah. mean, the guy, the guy getting mysteriously hit by mysterious people. First of all... And we got to get back to AEW here in a second, but yeah. Yeah, but first first of all, you missed a golden opportunity to introduce somebody else as a Roman Reigns, uh, uh, you know, a guy that wants to go against Roman Reigns. You missed that opportunity. You missed that opportunity to, to, to heel turn somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you missed so many opportunities by just giving Eric Rowan the, the, the bag for being the one that's fallen. Who is Eric Rowan? He's always been a second banana. He can't speak on the mic. He doesn't look opposing. Like, I mean, he looks opposing, but he doesn't look like someone that you're going to sell toys with. Who who cares about Eric Rowan? Like, he's the worst. Like, you know, and selling a match between Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. First of all, let's talk about two people that are, are so likable that you can't even believe that they're unlikable. You can't even think. You want to think of Roman Reigns as a big power guy, and you're just like, he's just a big ass teddy bear. And then you want to think of Daniel Bryan being unlikable. He is the worst as a heel. It's just like you want to laugh at him for being a heel. So for them to about to, you know, come to terms and to be in a rivalry, I just hate it. I, I hate it so much. Um, going back to AEW, I think that they are, you know, and like I think, you know, Punk said it when he was at uh um in, in Chicago at uh the con that they had, and the name of it's escaping me right now. Um, you know, but he goes, you know, you don't have to pick one over the other. You could, but you could genuinely enjoy them both and, and choose to watch them both. And as a pro professional wrestling fan, I'm actually excited to see what they're going to do because a guy like Goldust, who they completely wrote off in WWE, not that he has like a bright future in AEW, but he still has a story to tell. And I'm excited to see what it is. Cody Rhodes doesn't have to play Stardust anymore. He can be Cody Rhodes. You've got exciting talent like the Young Bucks. I don't care what Jim Cornette says. Yeah, they did some dumb stuff, maybe in their past, but they're up-and-coming talent. Kenny Omega is one of the best performers on this planet. John Moxley, Pac. I mean, they have the ability to make it happen, but... 
you know, the cons have put their money into this. Con! Star Trek reference. Have put their money into this. Um, but it's going to be up to how Cody and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega book it. That's going to be the back break, the, either the maker or the breaker is how they book this talent and the storylines going forward. Yeah, and I mean they have a golden opportunity to f- to find a niche because right now WWE is so flooded with talent they don't know what to do with them, and right. you see that there's a lot of talent going by the wayside, being asked to just be second bananas, run around the ring, do stupid stuff where they can go to AEW and actually have a career, right. which I would like to see. Um, and see I'd like to see Zack Ryder go to AEW. I, I think he's very I, underutilized. I, I would like to see, um, you know, I would love to see uh, No Way Jose go to AEW because he's underutilized. It's like I'm almost afraid. There's a guy, uh, Velveteen Dream, in NXT. Very underutilized. But he his character is so good that I don't want him to call get called up to the main roster because I don't want them to ruin it. And I feel like there's guys that they ruined, and there's girls that they ruined, especially. They, I mean, with them only pushing the four horsemen for most of the time, I feel like they're ruining that. They ruined Asuka. Asuka. That's, I was just going to say. They Asuka, ruined her. Asuka is the biggest letdown for me because Asuka should be running that division. But they literally hinged on the fact that she can't talk because she, she just doesn't speak the language well. So Vince McMahon's old tired ways of you got to be on the mic to, to sell. That's not true. Oscar could literally get a mouthpiece. She, hell, he, she could have got Paul Heyman as her mouthpiece and sold Oscar the way they're selling Brock Lesnar for the women's division. Yep. It, 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 it could have went that way. But now we got Oscar in a tag team, which the tag team's pretty cool between those two. But Oscar is a singles wrestler and should have title shot after title shot after title shot. There's no reason that she shouldn't. Yeah, no, no offense to Kyrie Sane, but they shouldn't be going after the SmackDown tag team titles together or the women's tag team titles. Sure. That should be, you know, Oscar should be on her own. Um, speaking of professional wrestling, I know that I mentioned it to you, but I'm uh, I'm actually, once uh, a few more pounds start falling off, man, we need to start looking at some schools and maybe take some classes and see if it's for us. I'm dead ass serious. I have done a wrestling school before down in Georgia. It is more the one of the most grueling things I've ever done in my entire life, um, and the bumps are no joke. I believe it. Zero joke. But you got I've got like I've got this like fire in my in my soul to at least say I gave it a try. Right. Because I just love the business so much, and I feel like not that I could like be the next big thing, but like it would be so cool to just perform in front of hometown crowds across the state. I one hundred percent believe that. If you if you if you ever doubted that wrestling was real, you should go to a wrestling school because just just getting hip tossed it, it, it can be painful. I mean that what's under that is is straight plywood. Or in some cases, if you've ever pulled up your bunk bed, it's the the two by four wood that that you had under your bunk beds that was basically tied together by ropes. It, it's literally those pushed together. So. Um, you know, it, it's not it's not pleasant to fall on that. So to watch them day after day <laughs> jump from the top ropes and have someone move out the way and you go straight to your belly, like oh my gosh, yeah. like you are a superhuman being to just take that pain and just keep on ticking. Right. So yeah, I would absolutely be down to do that though. That, that would be so much fun. I'm just gonna need you to talk to my wife about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't tell her what you're doing, man. 
Because that doesn't open a can of worms. Uh, I just, I, I mean, I had to do it when I was a single male, um, basically just dating girls, and I had the free time to to just show up and 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 be a part of it. I mean, it was just an open tryout. Uh, if you ever wanted to be a wrestler, come be it. And I just said, I, I went there and I said, I have no interest in performing. I just want to see what it feels like. I just want to actually have a couple bumps. You guys do what you do. Um, and try not to kill me. And literally, I got to learn to do a, a, a collarable tie-up, a uh, couple of moves, um, and I took a power slam. And I, when I hit that mat, I did not keep my head up. So I was literally like blurred vision. Yeah. And it's the truth. I had a little bit of blurred vision. I thought I have to have a concussion, but apparently my head is hard, um, and I didn't have a concussion. I just had a little bump on the back of my head for two weeks. And, I mean, you, you will learn – if you're doing this day in and day out to keep your head from that mat, because if that if that your head hits the mat, you're going out. Yeah, it's game you, over. Yeah, it's it's, you're, it's it's knockout. And I don't want to do this carnival sideshow junk where they have guys hitting each other with halogen lights, like those big industrial lights, or like jump yeah. in, like you know, on the you know, like in the backyard. Like I would want to like find a, a smaller local promotion around here after I've had a chance to learn a little bit safely and the right way. And perform that way, but I don't want to do any of this, you know, stuff that embarrasses the business. Sure, I mean, they're trying to hold on to a decade of, of, you know, ECW that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, we all loved hardcore matches, one hundred percent, but they were still, and I use air quotes, safe. Um, when you're using instruments like halogen lights and stuff like that, you don't understand how they're going to break, how they're going to react. You're going to end up injuring each other, and that's not the point of this. It's a point to tell a story and tell a story through violence. So what these promotions are doing outside that are unsafe, you're not going to get to the WWE that way. You're, you're no. not going to get to AEW that way. You get to those promotions by showing that you can, you can call a match and you can tell a story. That's, where you're, that's what they want. They don't want some guy that's going to jump off a roof of a building through a, a table straight to the concrete to his face and say, man, we want that guy because he'll do anything. McFoley days are over. Yeah, no, no thanks to that. Uh, before we wrap this up, though, we would be remiss uh, to not, uh, again, um, thank the countless first responders from 9-11. 9-11 is tomorrow. We're recording this on, on, on uh, September 10th. Uh, all the countless people who uh, gave their lives trying to save lives and all those countless people who lost their lives on the day of cowardice of those terrorist attacks. So our thoughts and our prayers are with everyone who was affected by that and still continues to be affected by that. And uh, that's something that, you know, I'll never forget. Um, and, you know, I always try to shake a hand of anyone who I've seen has, has served in the military or a first responder police officer even here. Uh, but I have the utmost respect and admiration for anyone who uh, was there that day and has lived to tell about it and who, ought to, or who did give the ultimate sacrifice trying to save lives. This is one of those moments where you just got to take a second. Um, if you were alive um, for it, just take a second and remember uh, where you were. Uh, what you were doing, and remember how lucky you are that sh you just got to witness it on TV um, and didn't have to experience it. And then let's take a moment to say a prayer for those that had their families affected and those that were actually affected uh, either on the planes or in the building. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a moment that it, it, it needs reflection. Um, it needs to remind us that we, we, we live in the best country of, of all time. And people are jealous of that, and we need to go and make sure we stay those lengths to, to, to make sure this never happens again. Agreed 100%. Um, 
So on that note, uh, we are actually going to uh, let you guys go. We'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to try to record, I would think, maybe on Monday nights going forward. Maybe Monday nights. We'll talk about it because uh, I have Special Olympics basketball coming up uh, pretty soon. Can't wait to get back out there with my guys. Uh, third year doing that. Uh, but mostly you try to get it to where we're you know recapping Browns games and NFL and stuff like that. But uh, then we'll also continue. And also, too, uh, thoughts and prayers out to the family of Fred McLeod, Cavs play-by-play announcer, passed away suddenly today at the age of 67. Uh, so our thoughts and prayers are with his family. Um, you know, I saw a tweet today, um, and, and I believe it. And I'm not going to throw another name in there, but you have Hammy. Uh, you have uh, Jim Donovan, Fred McLeod, Joe Tate, Michael Regai. Those are five names I grew up with that I respect tremendously. Um, really, you know, really enjoyed listening to Fred McLeod uh, when he came here and taking over for Reg. Uh, so thoughts and prayers to his family. Absolutely. Um, I I actually had to step a moment because I got a little foggy at my desk when I saw the, the replay of him calling us winning the NBA uh, Finals, counting it down. So, um, yeah, my thoughts and prayers is just out of nowhere. Um, it's pretty sad, um, and no one's going to be able to replace that voice to me. Uh, that, was, that, was the, that was my man who called the – the Fox Sports Cavaliers game, and it's just going to be weird to, to hear somebody else. Uh, I'm going to have to get used to that guy. So uh, my thoughts and prayers, we're, we're going to miss you. Um, and with that, we will see you guys next week. We'll be back uh, with another show next Tuesday. Uh, until then, go Browns, go Tribe, and God bless the United States.